We're going to begin this afternoon in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter six, beginning with verse fourteen, and we're going to go through to chapter seven, verse one. Second Corinthians six, verse fourteen. <clears throat> Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part? Hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We're living in a time when being connected is the rule of the day, isn't it? We've got cell phones, we've got Facebook, we've got the internet. We're always connected with those around us. If someone needs to get a hold of us, they can get a hold of us. Being connected to those you love and those who need to be in contact with us is one thing. But there's another kind of connectedness that is not so good in the world today. Now some of the common words that you often hear today are words like tolerance, acceptance, openness, seeker-friendly or inclusiveness. Now... In and of themselves, those words are not always bad words, but in today's world and in today's culture and in the movements that we are surrounded with today, for the most part, when you hear those words, those are red flag words and those are buzzwords and those do mean that uh, people are trying to force an ideology upon someone that we're not interested in having forced upon us. And, of course, the idea behind all of those terms is togetherness or being uh, connected on a human level. And there is a push to bring the world together under the same umbrella, under the same world, under the same society, and even under the same church. You look around and you see this social movement being pushed, and you're seeing it in the various denominations in the world. You're seeing councils and synods coming together and changing even their own rules to accept this tolerance and this openness and this inclusiveness where in the past they would have never accepted many of these things that are going on today. And so... Uh, when you look at this, this is the heartbeat of the world, and sadly, again, it is becoming the heartbeat of many congregations of the Lord's church even today. Many people of the Lord's church are uh, having these ideas that are incompatible with what the Bible says. I can remember many years ago having a conversation with a woman who was a member of the Lord's church and she told me she felt like that a homosexual was born a homosexual. 
And I was just shocked and amazed. We were standing in a fellowship hall over in Memphis. And she told me that. And I said, so wait a minute. You're telling me that God allows or calls a person to be born a certain way. And then he turns right around and punishes them for, for that behavior that they can't help. I said, is that what you're telling me? I was just in shock that, that she would make that statement. Now we need to be reminded that God did not call us to be inclusive. God called us to be exclusive. Now we have to understand what that means. He didn't tell us to get out of this world. He told us to not be like this world, right? He didn't tell us not to participate and be around folks of this world. That's not what we're talking about. But He did tell us to be exclusive. We are to be vastly different from the world around us. Now this trait of separation was sorely lacking in the church in Corinth. Sorely lacking. Of all the churches mentioned in the New Testament, without doubt, the church in Corinth was the most worldly. It was the most worldly in behavior, and it was the most worldly in mind. If the church in Philippi was known for its compassion, if the church in Ephesus was known for its commitment, surely the church in Corinth was known for its carnality. And that's why... Paul wrote his letter to them. It was a worldly church dwelling in a wicked city. In fact, the city of Corinth was so vile that if a person was to be called a Corinthian, you were known to be a person of very low moral standard. You didn't have to be from Corinth to be known as a Corinthian. You just had to be a lowlife. You had to be someone who had no moral standing. You had to be someone who had zero standards in this life to be known as a Corinthian. And that evil had penetrated the church in Corinth. In fact, it had penetrated it so much that it was hard to differentiate between members of the church in Corinth and the society of Corinth. You couldn't tell who was a member and who was uh, just a regular uh, citizen of Corinth. So Paul was letting them know in his letter that it didn't have to be that way and that it shouldn't be that way. And those verses tell us everything we need to know how to remain separate in a connected world. Now, while Satan tries to cause the world and the church to meld together so that you can't differentiate the two, and that's what he would love to have, there is to be a distinction, and a vast distinction, between God's people, the church, and the world. A person ought to be able to look at a person who is a member of the Lord's church and immediately say, hey, there's something different. There is something different about that person or that individual. Now, you may, they may not be able to specifically point out, hey, that's a member of the New Testament church. They may not even be familiar with the New Testament church. But they ought to be able to look at that individual and say, whatever is going on in that person's life, 
He or she is different from everyone else. God still expects His people to be different. doesn't matter what's happening in the world around us. He expects a person to differentiate himself. He expects His people to stand apart, to stand above. And these verses explain to us exactly how to do that. Now the title of the sermon this afternoon is Being Separate in a Connected World. And we're going to notice the ways in which Paul, Paul said we are to go about doing that. First of all, I want us to, to notice God's people are marked by contrasts. We're marked by contrasts. Paul used several verbs to make this argument. He, he uses fellowship, communion, concord, part, and agreement. All of these speak to something held in common or something shared. Shared among God's people, right? Or something that differentiates God's people and the world. Now his basic argument here is that Jesus and the apostles, they really didn't have anything in common with the world as far as their actions and their behaviors, their ideals, their goals, and their aims. They didn't have anything in common, right? And that's what he's getting to here. He points this truth out by revealing three areas in our lives where there is to be a contrast. First of all, he says there's to be a contrast in our walk. Right? That's our everyday living, right? Now this word righteousness has the idea behind it of purity of life or that which is pleasing to God. Of course, the idea here is that God's children, His people, are to be different from this world in the way they conduct their lives. Philippians 1.27 We're not to put on the world. We're not to become a part of it. We're not to clothe ourselves in the world. But we're to put on Jesus in front of the world, right? Romans 13, 14. We can go over to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, and he talks about, Paul talks about the, the Christian armor. That's what we're to clothe ourselves in. That's putting on Jesus. And we're to put on Jesus in front of the world. They are to recognize that. That's how they see that we are different. We're not to hide and do that. We are to openly do that. We're not to put on the world. That means we're not to clothe ourselves in the characteristics of the world. We're not to, to be like them, right? Whatever the characteristics of the world may be. Now, there are a whole lot of characteristics that we can point out that we're aware of that the world has. And so we're to avoid those things. Paul spoke about that recorded in Romans 12, uh, verses 1 through 2. Notice what Paul said there. Romans chapter 12, and I, I believe when we look in, uh, we talked a little bit about that this morning, the idea of standing justified in the sight of God through the system of faith. And I think we can almost encapsulize it in Romans 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's not asking us to do anything that is out of our reach. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In essence, 
These two verses tell us that we have to change. And that's what the system of faith does for us. We look in Romans chapter 1, he gives a laundry list of things to avoid. That's change. Get over to chapter 5, he talks about what Christ did for us, even while we were yet sinners. What's our response? Change. You get over to chapter 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Change. We get over to chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God? And what can all these other things do that Satan has no answer for? He can't do any of those things. How do we, how do we come into uh, contact with the blood of God? How do we access all of those wonderful things? Change. Right? Everything about it can almost be encapsulated in Romans chapter 12. How do I gain that system of faith? I change. I don't conform to this. I don't put on the world. I put on Jesus in front of the world. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. The, you know, we change from what we were in the past to something new in the present and even better and onto the future. Contrast in our walk. Contrast in our wisdom, right? The renewing of our mind. We use this system of faith and we learn, we learn, and we learn, and that changes. Now, what's, what did uh, he tell in speaking to those in Corinth? Again, the wisdom of the world, right? They look at that and they see what God's talking about is foolishness. Well, we renew our minds and our wisdom grows through this system of faith. Light and dark can have no fellowship, right? Let's not be unequally yoked, he tells those people. Now, often, people look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 14, and they say, well, that has to do with marriage. It has nothing to do with marriage whatsoever. It has nothing to do with marriage. Unequally yoked has nothing to do with marriage. A non-Christian can marry a Christian. Now, or a Christian can marry a non-Christian. Probably not the wisest thing, right? Probably not the wisest thing. But he's not talking about marriage here. He's talking about walking with the world. Right? Do not be unequally yoked. He's talking about walking with the world. Don't team up with the world. That's his whole point here, right? What, what fellowship does light have with dark? Don't do that. That's the point. Do not be connected to the world. Even the tiniest bit of light has the power to dispel the most oppressive darkness, right? That's his point. Do not team up. What, what fellowship does Christ have with Belial or Satan, the devil? He has no fellowship with him. He's not going to be yoked with him. Right? Not going to happen. We can't do that. He's talking about a life governed by the Word of God. A life governed by the Word of God has no ground, has no shared ground with a life governed by the flesh. That's not going to happen. That's what he's talking about. We're not going to have shared ground with the world. We're not going to have shared ground with the devil. We're too different. We are too different because... We are to live our lives according to the Word of God. That's how we're not to be connected to the world. We have a different standard of living than what the world does 
First uh, John one seven. We're walking in the light. They walk in the dark, right? We are. We have a different uh, uh, way we go about living. According to John fourteen twenty one through twenty three, we listen to the commandments of God. We love God. We obey His commandments. Right? It's a different standard. So what we have is a contrast in walk, a contrast in wisdom, and we have a contrast in our worship. See. Satan will use every little trick in the book. And he'll, uh, he'll convince Christians, well, you can change up different things. All you have to do is change one thing, and now you've adulterated the whole process, and he's got you. And he's got you. Okay? We have to have a contrast in worship. Paul reminds us we are God's possession. Just as there is no common ground between Jesus and Satan... And between one who confesses Christ and one who denies Him, the idols of the flesh and the world have no business in the temple of God. He tells us here, who's the temple of God? Well, we don't meet at a temple of God anymore. That's in the past, right? We are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. Individually, right? The church itself is the temple of God. We are. Okay? And... Individually we are. And so we have to be careful what we do. The things of this world do not belong in our lives. Okay? We have to be careful. We want to worship appropriately. We have no business changing any of that, right? We have no business. Uh, Just as our physical life is to be clean, our spiritual lives must be clean. Now I think this speaks volumes uh, to the modern church speaks volumes. Our duty is not to make worship pleasing to people. Our duty is to make worship uh, appealing to God. Who's the audience? We have one person, God. We have the Godhood comprised of three people, right? But there's one God. And that is who we offer up worship to. It is to be pleasing to God. Our duty is to consecrate ourselves to the will of God and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, that's the right frame of mind. In truth, that's according to the appropriate doctrine. We have no business changing our music, changing our preaching, or lowering God's standards and and affecting the doctrine in any way whatsoever. Now this word uh, concord in verse 15 equals harmony. Equals harmony. Now we get our modern word symphony from that word, right? So there is disharmony between Jesus and everything that's evil in the world, and so that's what this being unequally yoked talks about. We can't connect ourselves with evil in this world, right? And so I think the whole point here is God's people are to be different from the world because. God's people possess a new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Peter 1, 3-4. Okay? So what we have here is we have marked contrasts. And also, our second point, we are managed by specific commands. How are we going to be uh, separate in a connected world? Well, we're managed by specific commands. We are first commanded to be segregated. Now this is a command pertaining to people. Okay? Pertaining to people. 
It comes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 22, verse 10. Now, originally, it was directed toward uh, toward animals. Okay? The ox and the ass. They were two vastly different animals. You couldn't yoke them together, right? And we come back to this idea of being unequally yoked. Okay? Uh, you couldn't yoke an ox and a donkey together. They couldn't work together. So you don't want to unequally yoke them together. Uh, for a myriad of reasons. They wouldn't work good together, first of all. And secondly, the ox was clean, the donkey was unclean. Okay? Uh, they possessed two vastly different natures. That, that was a problem, okay? So to yoke them together was to invite trouble. And now that's what happens when uh, uh, people are unequally yoked together in the world. So let me give you an example of what Paul's talking about to be unequally yoked together. Maybe going into business with someone that you shouldn't go into business with. Someone is uh, 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 participating in a business. He opens a gambling hall, let's say, and you go into business with him. Well, that's being unequally yoked. You can't go into business with someone who's uh, operating a sinful business. He, he, he's, he's operating a gambling hall, right? So you can't, that's being unequally yoked. Brethren, he's not talking about marriage whatsoever. So that's the thing he's talking about here, right? And so that's inviting trouble. And that's being unequally yoked in the spiritual sense is inviting trouble. Now this is also a military term. It means to stay within your own ranks. And so we get the idea now, right? It has the idea of not walking with the world. We need to be, the believer needs to closely monitor his and her relationships that we have with different people, right? So that's, that's the idea that we're talking about. Because walking with the world all often results with walking like the world. And that's the issue. And that brings us to being, to, uh, of uh, not only being commanded to be segregated, but being commanded to be separated. Now, this is, pertains to practices. Okay, this pertains to practices. Just as we are not to walk like the world, uh, or with the world, we're not to walk like the world. And that's what we were just talking about, what that could lead to. Now, the world's going to do what the world wants to, Right? We have to do what we know is right. We're not going to be able to stop the world as a whole from doing the wrong things, but we can influence parts of the world. But we have to do it from living correctly ourselves. We have to refuse to be like the world. Christians are to be different. What, what, what are uh, uh, the Christians uh, are called? We're called the church. That means we are the called out. We're called out of the world to be different, right? Uh, many have read the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 19. Let's turn over there and uh, read what he says. And they've misunderstood his meaning. Let's read verses 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. 
to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Now a lot of people have misconstrued that. And what they said was he's, he's just accommodative. He's changed his message from one group. When he spoke to the Gentiles, he taught a different uh, gospel. When he spoke to the Jews, he taught a different gospel. Uh, incorrect. He taught the same gospel in every church. He specifically stated that. What Paul is talking about is when he said, I became all things to all men, he knew how to reach people wherever they were in life. He knew how to talk to them wherever they were in life. Paul worked with his hands. He knew what it was like to labor. He was an educated man. He knew what it was like to have a conversation with someone who was an educated man. Wherever they were in life, he could reach them, right? He knew what it was like to be a Jew. He knew what it was like to be a worker. He could reach that person and could start on whatever level they were on and start there and teach them the gospel. He was all things to all men. What he meant was he did not unnecessarily offend anyone. He simply taught them the gospel And he lived in such a way as to please Jesus at all times. That's what he's talking about, right? And so, have to be careful about uh, uh, hearing what someone says in a case like that. Paul never changed his message at all. We're marked by contrast, we're managed by specific commands, and we're moved by satisfying consolations. How do we remain separate in a connected world? Notice the satisfying consolations of which Paul spoke. There's a consolation of God's favor. Those who walk the separated life have God's promise that they will be received. The word received means to treat with favor. God is saying this. If you will be separate from this world for my glory, then you will enjoy my favor. My smile will be upon your life. Isn't that a comforting thought, to have the smile of God upon our lives? Of course it is. That's exactly what He wants. You know, we all want that. We want that. A clean, separated life is how you get God's pleasure, His smile, His favor upon us. There is the consolation of His fatherhood. All the redeemed are the children of God. He's the Father of them all. Notice what Paul told the Christians in Galatia. For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ... Then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. The child of God falls away. We've seen it in the prodigal son. He can come back with repentance and prayer. We see the repentance in the prodigal son. 
All the child of God has to do to gain that fellowship is to ask for God's forgiveness. We're marked by contrast. We're managed by specific commands. We're, mo- we're moved by satisfying consolations. And finally, we're motivated to steadfast convictions. Paul tells us that it is the promises and the person of God that should motivate each of us to seek a closer in a more consecrated and separated walk with God. We are motivated to a clean walk. We ought to be, shouldn't we? We're called upon to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Second uh, Corinthians 7 verse 1. The filthiness of the flesh, of course, refers to those external acts of wickedness. The filthiness of the spirit would refer to those internal attitudes of the heart that lead to the external sin. Paul spoke about the sins of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19-21. However, that which we do on the outside is merely a symptom of the problem on the inside. It's a heart problem, isn't it? It's a heart problem. If we look at, uh, uh, let's say for instance, an attendance problem. There's never an attendance problem. That's not the problem. It's always a heart problem. Uh, for instance, people may confess the same sin over and over again. That's simply, uh, that's not the root problem. The root problem is in the heart, right? It's, it's not with the body, it's with the heart. You see, the, the body is just simply an inanimate object until the will has it to do whatever it does. That's the problem, right? Matthew 15, 18 through 19. Therefore, we must actively cleanse ourselves both inwardly and outwardly so the the, uh, uh, favor of God can rest upon us. Now, this, this phrase, let us, that tells us something. We have to do more than ask God to have His favor upon us. We must actively be involved in that ourselves. We have to do something, right? We are motivated to a clean walk and we are motivated to a consecrated walk. The phrase perfecting holiness has the idea of completing or getting the whole mind of Christ into our souls, into our minds. We have to have that. That's what our goal is. Always working toward that. It's about ceasing to be driven by the flesh. It's about uh, beginning to be moved through life by the desire to please God. That's what we have to work toward. In other words, the idea of perfecting holiness is that the idea of Christ is in each of us and that for the purpose of honoring and glorifying Him. That's, that's what our goal is. Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless... I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. But how is that possible? How do I do it? I do it by resisting and avoiding sin in all its forms, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. By setting the fear of God before my eyes. That's, that's paramount, right? And I do that by refusing to engage in the world, 
by refusing to engage, engage in those activities that would, that would bring God's displeasure upon me. I need to be thinking about that, constantly having that before my mind. Where's the fear of God in these days? It's not existing much, is it? Well, it needs to exist in each of us. Are we really expected to remain separate in this connected world? Yes, we are expected to remain separate. But we are to be separated and not isolated. Remember, Jesus, He ate with the sinners and the publicans because it was up to Him and it's up to each of us to influence those people. We are to try to bring them into the church, not be like them, but to influence them to change what they're doing and to become like Jesus. That's what spreading the gospel is all about. It's like a skilled physician. We're to practice contact without contamination in the world. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation, if you need to come back to Him for whatever reason, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.